for me to become the best version of yourself, you have to, you need to stand for the humanity of somebody else. Welcome to The Fluent Show, a podcast about learning languages and reaching your potential. Hello, hello. My name is Kirsten Cable from fluentlanguage.co.uk. And here on the show, we talk about languages, communication, curiosity, and enriching our lives through the challenge of learning something new. I'm just kind of relaxing actually here. You know, we're finally switched into summertime, British summertime. The sun is setting. I'm sat here looking at the sunshine, recording this for you on the weekend. And it's been a little while since I've been on the mic. So I'm just enjoying it and I'm really looking forward to hanging out with you today. Now, let me tell you what is on the agenda, on the menu. Uh, Today, I'm bringing you a special It's a recording of an expert panel discussion that I was really lucky to moderate at our recent Women in Language conference. And the topic of this expert panel discussion is feminism in our language world. I care about it for a reason that is, you know, is undeniably feminism. I'm undeniably a feminist myself, but word and the movement and oh my god there were so many questions about it so um yeah the questions is it cool to be a feminist does it matter in 2022 should you put it in your twitter bio is feminism um, as a movement fit for purpose in the times we live in is it inclusive enough dare I call myself a feminist or will everybody think I am aggressive and um, I want to just debate and criticize everything all these questions you know they've given me some nerves over my life and they are at the heart of why today's discussion is so relevant and important so in this discussion as you listen to it um, the importance is really that the experts are multilingual, that they come from very different backgrounds and they live in very different places. We really had to spread from Canada all the way to Japan. Um, But it's not about the multilingualism. It's not even about the gender. But the truth is both obviously affects us. We didn't want to talk about like how to learn vocabulary or how to find a conversation partner in a feminist way. That's not what I'm sorry for making a funny voice, but it's just not what this is about. And, and it feels so alien to me. So what I wanted to do is examine the world we live in and how that impacts us as humans and how it impacts us as language learners. Having said that, there is a lot of value in the shared appreciation of language and expression that this particular panel brought with it. And you will hear how this influences the care that they put into how they talk about feminism. So all in all, top quality conversation. I think you definitely should hear it. I'm super grateful to Lindsay and Shannon, uh, who allowed me to put the audio on the podcast, as well as our panelists who agreed, Archana Pamar, Cheslin Pierpol, Martina Goetz, and Samantha Lasso. Um, yeah, so thank you to all of you for allowing me to put this audio out on the podcast. Before I hit play on the Feminism in Our Language World panel, which I hope you're a jazz up for now, I don't want to miss out on highlighting our super cool show sponsor. And it is the app 
Close Master, available on all platforms. You can try it for free. Do not miss out. Close Master, C-L-O-Z-E-M-A-S-T-E-R, has supported The Fluent Show and, in fact, Women in Language for absolute years now. And I, I'm not an app girl when it comes to language learning, but I do really enjoy using this one. And um, it's been particularly fun for me. Um, not with Welsh, the language I've been learning for you know nearly seven years now. Seven, eight a while <laughs> but um with Chinese where they've got a HSK1 collection I'm sort of just working my way through that and it's it feels really rewarding and it actually feels really helpful and it's been it's been a great way to test my knowledge um and I think I just really like the simplicity of the close exercise so this app is entirely built on the close c l o z e exercise which is you see a sentence there's a word missing and you have to work out from context what the word is that should go in there. When you do that in a foreign language, it trains you to think in context and use your language in context and to kind of relate the vocabulary that you know to new environments. So it's really practical. Um, and Close Master itself also has got uh, text-to-speech audio now. So it trains your listening skills too. It's got a listening mode. It's got like a radio mode. So you can even like listen to the words. Lots going on with it. Um, best of all, for listeners of my podcast, I know it is available in over 50 languages, five zero languages. And like I said, it works on iOS, Android and directly in your browser. If you want to support The Fluent Show, and please do, go ahead, go over to closemaster.com slash fluent show. So C-L-O-Z-E-M-A-S-T-E-R dot com slash fluent show. And there you will find a bonus video that I made for you. And you also get 10% off for life. Super, super cool. If you want to try out Close Masters Pro membership, which unlocks more features for you. And it also helps you support this independent language learning app. And I do care about that here. So that is closemaster.com slash fluent show. You don't need a special code. Just head over there. 10% off in your pocket. Why not? <laughs> Go ahead and enjoy and thank you so much to them for supporting the show. All right, before I hit play on this panel, two things I want you to know is that because this was a conference panel broadcast live, the audio quality is, as you, as you would expect from a Zoom call, pretty good, but you know, not studio podcast, but you will be able to hear us and that's what matters here. And of course, let me introduce the panelists before we kick off and they were, are, Martina Gertz, an MA student of Romance Linguistics who speaks German, English, Portuguese and Spanish and she loves to look at new ways to learn languages. Martina presented about transgender inclusive and sensitive language um, as a presenter herself at Women in Language 2022. Uh, the next panelist we had was Samantha Lasso, who is an events professional and she's French. She speaks Japanese, French and English. And she is the host of Feminist in Japan, which is her own podcast. And she views her languages through the perspective of feminism. Our next panelist is someone you might have heard from before, Cheslin Pierpo, who is a thought leader, global impact expert, activist, executive coach, and Cheslin speaks five languages and is based 
in Canada. And finally, our fourth panelist was Archana Palmer, who is an author, public speaker and coach for executive communication. Archana is based in India and at Women Language 2022, she brought us her own presentation as well, which was all about being assertive. And it was fascinating and gave me the biggest light bulb moment as this whole panel did. Built my confidence, oh, changed my life. How oh, wonderful. Now, those are the panelists, Martina, Samantha, Cheslin and Achana, who you will hear from and get to know in the next hour. So let's get cracking and get this panel started. Welcome to the Women in Language panel discussion feminism in our language world we are so delighted to be with you so delighted to have you here uh not going to apologize for the tech stuff anymore something's working now we can see and hear each other that's good i am here with martina give us a wave chesleen archana and samantha and in the interest of time and we're going to quickly skip over the bios but do have a read and get to know our panelists i'm going to go straight into the questions and my first question that i wanted to ask you about is what feminism means to you uh what made me reflect on this is feminism is a term so feminism is a term that splits opinions many people have a strong reaction to it for me when i was growing up feminist was a term that my mum used as a negative word sort of when you're when you're getting a bit too opinionated when you're getting a little bit too confident my mum would say you sound like a feminist but these days people have got feminists on on t-shirts and mugs as a slogan so it's an entirely different world and i wanted to know from each of you how much did you know about feminism growing up and what does the term mean to you personally uh now i'm going to call on martina first welcome welcome Thank you. So um when I grew up it was more or less the same like um, what you just told us. So the word feminism was <clears throat> more like um having a bad con a bad picture of um the person you don't want to be like. But um when I think about it when I grew up I grew up with a lot of um feminist concepts. We just didn't call it like that. Like for example, in my family I had um strong women as um like pictures how I can behave and how I could uh, move in the world but we just didn't call it like that um and nowadays we just call it what it is and it's a good thing so yes that's love that perspective Samantha what about you so as for me I'm uh, I'm French and I'm currently living in Japan so I've got two two different points of view right now with feminism But I think I have to agree with you, Kristen. It's really when I grew up, it was not. It was definitely not positive. Uh, not a positive term at all. Feminism was seen as something very extreme and very harsh, and not something that a woman wants to be. Uh, and my opinions nowadays definitely changed uh, to the opposite of that. I'm quite proud of you know to be a feminist. But growing up, it was definitely not glamorous or ideal for sure in France. Yeah. Wow. Oh, this is already surprising me so much. Achana, what mm -hmm. about you coming from a completely different cultural context? Yeah, so Kristen, as everyone was talking about their experiences of feminism, I could uh, go back to my childhood 
where this word did not exist in my vocabulary set right so it was when i was in my teen years uh, late teen actually that i actually heard this word feminism for the very first time it took me a while to understand people might think that india is quite backward but uh, i've been very blessed that i never faced those kind of discriminations that people generally assume that we have over here surprisingly feminism uh, was a different concept altogether as i told you i came to know of it very late in life i mean at that time i used to think it's already very late but uh, interestingly so it 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 is more like a love and a hate kind of relationship with the word feminism itself or the value that it carries along with it i had no idea about it and i'm sure my neither did my parents so it was more about equality but gradually what i realized is there would be no ism if there is equality all around mm-hmm. yeah so we've been talking about being equal being equal but again we weren't and uh, we still aren't at very many places i would say mm-hmm. oh that's that's a that's a fascinating perspective so so far we've had two of us actually saying your experience is similar to the one i had growing up where feminism is there's almost a backlash against the whole concept and then we've got Archana with you saying this is something i wasn't really aware of we didn't really talk about it and it sort of didn't really apply that much at all now cheslin what's your cultural background and how have you how have you come to the idea of feminism yeah i would say i mean for me i was uh, i'm a third culture kid so i was born on unceded indigenous territories and so-called Canada my parents are political refugees and activists from Haiti so already growing up it was a very politicized environment where we were really aware of of systemic oppression so when i think back on my childhood feminism was not a construct that we engaged with as such the only parts of it that were of interest to us was when it was behaving like intersectionality So for me growing up feminism meant whiteness meant political whiteness and privilege through female presenting bodies it didn't mean me so even when i would growing up engage in different like gender advocacy groups and things like that it became very clear to me that that brand and level of feminism was attempting justice through privilege and so that doesn't work um and womanism became something that in my teens i started encountering when i learned i started learning english and that's where i saw a decolonized version of what feminism could be so i would respect what i knew feminism could be but i recognized what it actually was historically as well you know so so you know it coming back a lot of the feelings that we've expressed is to say that and the only thing the other thing that came to mind is that when you live in a state of oppression that's not acknowledged when you present yourself as pro something somebody else is going to say that you're anti something so if i'm pro womanhood or whatever a lot of people will quick to say oh it means that you're anti men or yeah anti xyz so the whole narrative also is part of the problem me being pro anything is not me stepping on the neck of somebody else's liberation is me taking a stand for my own but why is it that well, a lot of us are socialized into feeling that you're shouty you're loud your problematic or this and that because you recognize that we don't come into neutral spaces. Yes. Yes. I under I understand and it's it's interesting the the summary that Chesling there gave to us is sort of if you're not if you are for something many people will assume you're against something else. 
it's actually a, re a reaction we've had to the women in language concept in the past as well. And this, it's sort of a message, this message was then given to all of us in a certain way. Um, now, I want to kind of, yes, I will, I'm going to move on and I'm going to combine this with my second question, which is, how has feminism helped you? So here at Women in Language, we have found that many speakers tell us that um, they feel a sense of safety, that this word safe keeps coming up um, and it encourages them to present. And this sense of safety is it's, root, it's rooted in a common fear that we all have of criticism, of dismissal, and um, from, the, from the other people, I think internally too. So often as a, as a woman, we might have to fend off uninvited corrections, critiques, lectures, and there are internal feelings of pressure and guilt. Um, so lots and lots of obstacles. Given all those obstacles, how has the feminist message equality which whatever and you can please tell me what feminist message is in your own mind how has that message helped you when it comes to pursuing your ambitions in languages and in professional life martina i'll come to you um, i would use the word freedom like mm. um feminism helps me to get um spaces to just say what i want to say and not feel like i don't have can i can't um say uh, my message um that I can use my thoughts without being critiqued or I I mean people can criticize everything I say say but um I get space to say it. like for example here when I am in, at other conferences in special places where the feminist ideas aren't so present it's very hard to get space to say stuff while other people don't stop talking for example so mm. it's a lot of freedom and also as you said um safety and both together um is very helpful to um say stuff <laughs> yeah so that sense of scarcity that you're describing now um what about you Archana? so i would say feminism has made me more of a human eye, I would say. So for me, it's not only being feminist, but it's more about nature being humanist. If everyone, if all of us, you know, go on this march that we are feminist, we are feminist, there have been times when the whole uh, definition of feminism was portrayed in a very different manner altogether. It was way, it was entirely different to what it actually was started as. Mm. So when I was in my college years, when I was pursuing my degree uh, in English honors itself, I realized the original idea of feminist was entirely different. It was to make people realize that women are also human beings. They also deserve right to live, right to edu uh, get education, and then have their own opinion. They were not supposed to use those pseudonyms, even if they have to write, if, even if they have to publish their work out there. What it actually got into was that we are, uh, these feminists are the species which are anti-men which isn't you know, it, which isn't the case exactly so it's more about coexisting so i would say feminism has helped me immensely in looking at the things from a different perspective it has made me more of a humanist mm -hmm. i yeah. love that i love that the, the general message really being one of equality and that that coming from your side then as well as a feminist and really coming and looking at everybody 
together. Uh, just this is great. This is great. And I love that you referenced publishing under pseudonyms, sort of just to illustrate how how far we have had to come. Uh, Samantha, what about you? How has feminism and the feminist message, I keep saying, um, helped you in your life and your professional life? Sorry, I was just so lost in in uh, in everybody's story that I actually lost my point. But uh, yeah, feminism definitely helped me through with with my professional life because I started the the podcast Feminist in Tokyo since I'm I'm, I'm in Japan. And something that you know, Shetlin just said a few minutes ago when she was saying that for her, uh, feminism feminism is deeply linked to white people. That really resonated with me because that's something I see in Japan a lot. I see a lot of Japanese women thinking that feminism is something from the Western societies. It's something for the white woman. And they don't really link it to them, even though Japan is one of the countries with the most gender inequality that I know. And it's a great country. I'm in love with Japan for 10 years, so I will always love that country. But they struggle a lot with social fights like, you know, racism, homophobia, and, you know, sexism. Um, so it's, it's, it was striking to me to see that my Japanese female colleagues would not uh, really take an interest into feminism. Something that Arcana was also saying before is that uh, you don't have the word feminists, feminism in your language, right? And that's the same thing with Japanese. Japanese doesn't have the word, you know, feminism and feminist in it. So really Japanese women are not interested in it. That's what I thought. Um, I even had an event where I remember clearly um, a Japanese woman saying to a Canadian woman that the only reason why women wanted to be CEO were because they were unhappy and they needed money. And that's the only reason why they wanted to become CEO of their companies. But because Japanese women were happy in their homes as housewives, they didn't need to become CEO. So that's the kind of things you can hear sometimes in Japan. But, you know, the thing is that through the podcast I started, I've started discovering that the new generation of Japan, the new Japanese women are taking an interest into feminism and things are changing and I'm I'm very happy to see that feminism is starting to be something that link you know all the women together. Uh, it's called intersectional feminism, is where you acknowledge the fights of the other uh, you know categories of women inside of the movement. So you know Japan is is a bit it's a struggle, but it, I think we're getting there as well, and it's definitely a big push in my career. Mm-hmm. It sounds to me like you. Like for you becoming more vocal about feminism and kind of asking the question and sharing that, it was a way as well to connect with the culture and connect with people where you are and to to realize the right framing of equality that is needed in order to understand where you like see eye to eye with women in Japan. Yeah, exactly. Wow, <laughs> this is wow, and it's it's interesting as well because you you have this idea that I guess that it's from the Western woman or the white woman, and then even if it was, which it it isn't the concept, right? And Chesney can probably speak to that very well. It's it it can come from, but that still doesn't mean it's just for a particular type of person. Chesney, what about you? So you previously mentioned sort of 
feminism, womanism, but this message of equality and the confidence of women, how has that helped you in your life? Yeah, I mean, my experience was interesting because I lived at the crossroads of different cultures and I could see how in certain feminist movements, um, the standard of feminism wasn't inclusive. Um, and so womanism was interesting for me because with intersectionality is to say that every system of oppression that exists and collides with being a woman or existing in a female presenting body is what we need to address or else we are creating hierarchies of privilege within womanhood. If you're a woman and you are, you know, able-bodied and white passing, you're not treated the same within the feminist conversation as your counterparts. So it's very important to make sure that the movement all of its own be truly inclusive or else it becomes just a microcosm of the problematic ways of this world. And for me, basically having spaces where I could meaningfully engage with that, it helped me have an activistic visibility because too often I would come into those spaces and I would be the only one, the only black, the only queer I mean, I am partly female identifying and wholly queer identifying. So it's interesting to see all those dynamics, you know, coming into the conversation, the assumptions, the people who are expected to be invisible in those visible spaces. Um, and also it helped me in my work because there's more impact. When you come into a space and you're here to take down barriers and create bridges, it means you can have exactly the same conversation, but maximize its reach and ultimately its capacity to transform lives. So when you know how to reach over color lines and spaces where you used to be the only one and now more people like you and unlike you get to sit together within the same space communally, there's a lot of multi-generational healing at play. If you create the first event where certain communities historically never communicate or engage meaningfully in anti-oppressive ways and you get to facilitate that. So for me, the gift of being, you know, othered in the system was that I could understand everybody's positionalities differently and then leverage that as a means to create better paths towards, you know, communication, healing and restoration. So for me, it was important to not, I am not tragic because I have Black, queer, a woman presenting and to be able to have real conversation and not, you know, add that element of tragedy to like the woman and uh, the woman plus experience was also very important. Yeah, that's amazing. Something that I hear in what you're saying that I think really, really frightens people in 21st century feminism is this this knowledge and this acknowledgement that even this movement that seeks to improve needs improvement itself. Right? It's not perfect the way it is, and I think a lot of people can't handle this complication that is in there and I love that I love that you you kind of find the the openness and the opportunity and approach that without fear because I'll be honest with you part of me finds that terrifying um okay because we all like simple answers which we can never get um I'm gonna call on Lindsay Lindsay Williams hello calling Milton Keynes I get to do my calling Milton Keynes routine do I have a Lindsay? You do. Hey! You, do. You, you have a Lindsay who was just about to go and, and put the kettle on, thinking I had <laughs> thinking I had a few minutes. Um, okay, yes, this is all so interesting and, and lots of um, comments in the chat that we've been discussing, in particular the pro and anti, I think it was Sheslin who, who brought that up. 
um, you know, being pro one thing is not equivalent to being anti everything, you know, that isn't that thing, um, which I think is applicable as well in lots of situations. Um, and some interesting thoughts as well. Amina just saying where I live, unfortunately, being a feminist is a dangerous thing. That would be something worth digging into perhaps with the panel. Um, and let's see. Yes. Talking as, as well about like the term feminist, Bonnie says, I think a fair amount of people out there of all genders may act like feminists or believe in equality, but not use the term feminist to describe themselves. Michelle adding to that, I think a lot of people still see feminists as the extreme end of the spectrum and so are reluctant to use the word to describe themselves, which, you know, people agree with there as well. So, yes. Yeah, definitely. And um, I wonder I wonder how you all feel um, in, in the panel in terms of describing, identifying yourself and saying, I am a feminist. I mean, Cheslin's clearly done a lot of thinking about that. And, you know, you've come to womanist, which um, I, I will ask you slightly differently um, in terms of how people react to that. But I wonder if you describe yourself as as that. Um, do you do it openly to people? Do you, Does it come up in conversations? Do you talk about being a feminist? And if yes, do you think it contributes or distracts from the message? Uh, Samantha, what about you? Um, I do openly call myself a feminist. I used not to because I thought that the term was scary and I was uh, imagining very scary women hating men. Um, so, which is interesting because now my fiance calls himself um, a feminist. So we're really, you know, uh, trying a bit or on, you know, the definition of the word feminist. But for me, Feminist is is something that I use with pride, you know, and I never call myself a humanist uh, or anything else because comparing the fight of, of you know, uh, women, cisgender or not, uh, straight or not, you know, of any color, it's it's a woman fight, you know, it's not a man fight. Men have their, they have issues as well. They're being impacted by patri patriarchy as well. But it's just not something you can compare. So I will be, I like the term of Cheslin. I like womanist and I would love to hear a bit more about it. But feminist is the word that I use. And when I do, because I'm not shy about it, uh, I get a lot of backlash. I get a lot of, uh, well, you hate men. Or I get a lot of, I don't know, you know, hysterical. Uh, or you're imagining everything nowadays. We have all the same uh, equal rights. So feminism is not necessary anymore. Uh, I get a lot of reactions like that. And someone said in the chat that they're living in a country where it's very, you know, uh, dangerous to be a feminist. I don't know about a lot of countries like that, but I do know about South Korea, which is very close from Japan. South Korea is currently very dangerous for feminists. Uh, there is a strong backlash of masculinists. I don't know if you ever heard the term of men who think they have to defend manhood. And right now, uh, South Korea is very, you know, scary for feminist people. So, yeah, I am quite proud of being a feminist. And I think I'll, I'll continue on that line. Mm -hmm. I think I um, tried my best to exhibit excellent physical control there by not rolling my eyes too hard. <laughs> it's, it's interesting what you say and that to say that 
we we want to you know we do want to recognize and it's sort of intrinsic to to, to feminism um, that it is a term that recognizes that there is a struggle that women have and one of the backlashes is well you've made some progress and you you know it's sort of problem solved now so there is this, there is this sense of you know, like, we've given you this bit, can you go away now? Um, which I think many activists will struggle with. Uh, Martina, what about you in terms of, you've previously mentioned, you know, freedom as or a sense of freedom uh, and in terms of expressing yourself and moving around in terms of when you talked about how feminism has helped you. So I wondered, do you call yourself feminist? How do people react? How do you feel about it? Um, I call myself feminist and I use the word also on my social media accounts right now, I think. And more or less all bios, I wrote feminist. But I always think about changing it, for example. So um, I think calling myself feminist is a good thing to just um, say out loud, I want this freedom and I want those rights. But... Um, what I see as problems is that there are different feminist movements and events, for example, act differently. So um, my aim is to have intersectional feminism, to have queer feminism, to include different struggles in my feminism. But there are so many um, movements which want to exclude so, or which just act like they exclude some um, groups so so that I don't want to identify with them but I for myself I just say okay that that's their feminism and they exclude certain groups I don't want to do that but I don't want them to just kind of steal for me the um, word feminism and I want to use it in the way I want to act in my everyday life so but um, when I see the word feminism in certain contexts, I'm always like, okay, do they mean feminism? Like I want to use feminism or do they exclude, for example, trans women or non-binary people? Do they include black people? Do they exclude black people, for example? So um, it's always a struggle with the word for me. But right now I'm using it to describe myself, yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which... I which again is such a good illustration of this this sense that we briefly heard about earlier is that the movement itself needs improvement and we're sort of in a space where the movement needs improvement and it can it can lead almost to like for you to question like should I just avoid the whole thing altogether and you're saying no I'm not avoiding it just because it's not perfect do I understand that right Yes, right. Mm -hmm. uh, now, uh, Cheslin, what about you? Do in, it, we've we've just heard from Samantha. It would be great to dig a little bit deeper into the womanist um, versus feminist and the intersectional element there. Would you would you shy away from feminist? Yeah, I mean, I was also looking at the comments in the chat, and I feel there's terminology, and then there's activism. And so it's very important to me is not how the person identifies, but, mm -hmm. you know, where they engage in the arena of social justice, because the issue is, and people have reflected this, every word is going to be a trigger for somebody else's fragility. Mm 
or experience. Mm. And so I can be a womanist, I can be a feminist, I can be whatever. What matters ultimately is, you know, when the rubber meets the road, where am I when, am I, when I am needed in this experience, in this conversation? So for me, it's not the semantics of the language or, you know, self-identity that matters. It's truly like the practicality of where I meaningfully engage consistently. And people have been sharing that in the chat as well, because it becomes very performative. And I'm quoting uh, Jamie from the the chat, like talking about performative wokeness. I can talk all day about the intersectionality of all things, but what matters to me is also understanding that when you're not in a place where you, you cannot make mistakes, you're not in a place where you can make change. And people are afraid to be called out because we don't call in people who don't have the same language, don't validate our experience. I may not validate your experience as a feminist, but I can validate, but I'm not invalidating you either. Mm-hmm. Maybe I have a different word for what you do. So I feel that it's also starting, stopping this instinct where we want to pull away from people and we determine that you become a non-person when your language or experience does not holistically validate how I choose to see myself. So I want to be able to come into rooms and sit with people who don't identify as feminists and don't identify as X, Y, Z, and we still do something together that matters. So, so that's something that's very clear to me. And when I talk about womanism, it's just interesting because not everybody knows what it is. And it opens up the gamut to kind of talk about the ugly within the revolution. And that allows us to truly understand, well, oh, wow, I hadn't thought about it this way. And the, the thing with oppression and all those things is very subtle. That's why it's systemic. So you're conditioned to normalize the absence of certain voices. So when you come into a meeting, who do you expect not to see? And who do you expect to see? Or when you look around in your own network, for the kind of faces that are more reoccurring than others, so having that type of awareness, then you go and you seek the opposite of what you have. Right. And that's how you put really into action something that demonstrably is part of advancing humanity through feminism, through womanism, through queerism, through all those things. But if we get caught up in the semantics of change, we become very performative of a transformation that we're not t- truly contributing to. Yes, that's there's there's so much to reflect on there and really you're you're speaking to what i'm hearing when you're speaking is sort of the the very important difference of starting with who you are and what you want to do and why you want to do it which can come from the point of view of you know sort of i'm a f feminist or a womanist or whatever it is or it can come from the point of view of i want to include more people and is that because people will become, a, you know, because I don't want to be called out when it becomes tokenism? Or is it because, hang on, there's something happening here where we're all looking the same. And where is, you know, I'm, I'm curious. I want to hear different opinions. Other people can still see that from, from the outside and refer to it as tokenism. But it's sort of what's in your heart. Um, Achana, this is, this. I find this really interesting because we've just had, the talk about assertiveness this morning, where you talked about it has to sort of start with with you, your goals, your values. Um, And this kind of comes to that same point of sort of confidence. And do you confidently proclaim yourself, you know, what you are, what you want now, and how do people react to that? Exactly, very much. So for me, you name it, whatever you want, right? You, I can be a feminist, I can be a womanist, I can be a humanist. As long as I'm clear about my mindset, my vision, and my mission. 
I'm totally okay with it. And all these things three, uh, are directed to just one goal that is to coexist in harmony and equality. That's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, irrespective of whether it is the equality for LGBTQ, whether it is equality for women, it's or one particular section of a society. Because at the end, we all are here to coexist. Right? So, and uh, another thing that I find interesting here is that. Uh, the idea of feminism needs really needs to be reformed because everybody is I'm talking about my um, the scenario that I've been observing here around me that they mold it to suit their needs. If I want to get this thing done, I'll twist, I'll break, I'll bend to suit it to my particular thing. Wherein it's more about you know seeking sympathy, which certainly is not the case. The system itself was the revolution itself was started in order to bring equality, right and uh, that is the reason that I may not be a feminist, I mean, the vocal feminist, but yes, deep inside, you peel all these layers off and you find a hardcore feminist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, wow. And it's, it's interesting. I'm, I'm getting the impressions from sort of listening to you all. There's, there's sort of two things that the term can evoke. One is the sort of the goals. And mm-hmm. you you come to it with well here's what I what we all want here's what it means to me, and then there's also the acknowledgement of the external movement, and then you you have to also start thinking and reflecting on the feminist movement, the history of it, the things it get the it gets right as if it has its own mind right, <laughs> the things that people might not get right, the things you might not agree with, and it's all a lot a lot more complicated than all that, um, which isn't that just life for us uh before i move on to the last question i'll see if i'll see if Lindsay was able to make her cuppa and also read the chat <laughs> do i currently have a Lindsay williams hello yes you do yes there's a lot in the chat as um <clears throat> i'm sure you've probably seen as well um but yes, I think I think Shez really picked up on the last point about performative wokeness. Mm-hmm. Um, Agnieszka mm-hmm. also bringing up the term virtue signaling as well. So yeah, and then you know different when different people call themselves feminists. So Michelle saying, I often feel a little uncomfortable when a man calls himself a feminist in a discussion, even though I know that's not a fair perception on my part because I'm waiting for the but followed by some mansplaining which I think is interesting because it's like, like Michelle says, you know, how does something become an inclusive movement when we're coming, we're all coming to, to things with pre, you know, um, perception. That's the word. Sorry. Mm-hmm. It's off sugar high. <laughs> I'll go now. <laughs> I found that, you know, I was reflecting on that silently earlier and um, uh, whether it, whether it can make you feel a certain way. So I'd love to bring that one to the panel. We've got we've got the minute. Um, Martina, what do you make of when a man calls them himself? It's got to be a he pronoun. Then when a man calls calls himself a feminist. Um, I I have two opinions about that, and I don't know if they work together. So mm. my first um thing that I reminded in the moment I read that comment was um, once I had a conversation with a man who asked um, me if he can call himself feminist um, and that conversation was in German 
and that's important in this um, point, um, because in German we have two different words in general. Um, feminist is the the um, male form, and feministin is the female form. So he asked us if he can call himself feminist, and I was like, yeah, you can call yourself feminist, but there is kind of a difference between using the male form and the female form because if he isn't affected so much as somebody who is a woman, a woman, it's differently. On the other side, um, so the other point that I had is that um, feminine the way I see feminism, it doesn't exclude all men, so um, or men in general. So, um, for example, a trans man has some connection to women, can have connections to womanhood, and um, so it's not when a person has some connection to womanhood or feminism in another way than, for example, the guy that I talked with. Um, I think they it's different when they call themselves feminists because they are also um, affected by stuff. But when a cis guy who says he doesn't have a connection to womanhood um, calls himself feminist, I have this feeling that, yeah, you can be a feminist, of course, but it's different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there's that that lack of shared experience and there's also the sort of, power dynamic where you then start feeling like are you coming and you know co-opting jumping in on a thing we've worked really hard on Jessalyn what about you when a man calls himself a feminist it's interesting because I would need to have a follow-up because you know words are empty labels until there's a definition and our definitions are not universal Mm -hmm. but what I'm interested in is not so much why or how you self-identify is that whatever you self-identify as, I will hold you accountable to that label. So for me, it goes back to action. Call yourself everything you want. At the end of the day, when you are needed, are you going to truly basically do things that will create discomfort for you? Or are you going to, again, as we're saying, co-opt or perform an identity that you're not really ready to honor? And also just to circle back a little bit, I love the idea of when we are in the movement, we shouldn't be at ease all the time because or else it just means that I am living within a sea of seamless and it's very egoic. I want to only talk with feminists or womanists or freedom fighting people in the movement that look like me and that revalidate the, the version of feminism or social transformation that I want to see. So for me, if you're here to lead an impact, you need to learn how to embrace discomfort. You can do that because or else you're not transform you're not transformation ready. So how can you empower somebody else to be that? So I feel that and there's something beautiful in chasing after and craving your own discomfort. It means you're growing. So for me, the, the labeling of it is interesting because it builds a range. Everybody has different points of intersection into the space of fighting the oppression that we're discussing. And I am actually excited to hear that. And I'm also going to challenge you on the grounds of what you call yourself and how you present yourself in that space. And it's not an aggressive challenge, but it's a way to empower you to mature your thoughts and to be more critical in what you say, but more importantly, in what you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. 
this sort of to, to summarize it in sort of the short phrase it's, it's almost like do you need to say it very much are you going to do it right if you're going to do it do you need to say it now, Samantha, you you previously mentioned the sort of the backlash. Do, you, do we still need feminism, etc.? Um, what do, what do you? You might not notice, but I'm sort of reflecting. Would a man get the same reactions? You know, saying I'm a feminist. Would anybody be like, but do we need feminism? Um, what what is your feeling in terms of when a man calls himself a feminist? Uh, you know, the thing is that I feel like with this uh, discussion panel, I feel like an hour and a half is not enough with the topics that we're talking about because it's so deep, you know. On the on the field, because I've met quite a lot of uh, cisgender, uh, you know, identifying men calling themselves feminists, I'm always very careful. Uh, that's mm -hmm. basically what Martina said, Chelsea said, and, you know, Cheslin said, is that I'm going to see your actions. Uh, and what you do, and then I'm going to judge. And I know that I mentioned my partner before. He doesn't call himself a feminist. He calls himself an ally. Uh, I call him a feminist because I've seen him in action. I still remember, I think it was the second or the third dinner we had together with a group of friends. And one guy said something that was uh, a discrimination against uh, both, you know, LGBTQ, AI, and uh, you know, woman at the same time. So he did the bingo. He's, he was very good. And my partner called him out instantly on the spot. And then after the dinner, he came to me, my partner came to me and told me, I apologize because I stole your part. You should have been the one talking out. And I spoke before you did. Because there is a whole thing of, you know, the white savior uh, thing happening where someone who's not impacted by discrimination is speaking out instead of you who should be talking about. So he was also conscious of that. So it's basically, you know, generally I'm going to be very, um, very careful if a man calls himself a feminist, but they do exist. It's very few of them, but they exist and they are true lies and we need to keep them close, I think. Absolutely. A man just walked in and brought me a cup of tea. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Which couldn't have been, couldn't have been more illustrative. Um. I the, so the sense I get from the three of you, Martina, Cheslin, Samantha, is you know we're a little bit wary. We're a little bit wary with that type of thing. Achana, how how do you react? How would you react? My reaction is again. If what lies deep inside, right? Because again, when I talk about the word feminism, are you really a feminist overall? Are you only feminist for the women outside your household? Or are you actually a feminist towards women inside your household? Mm. Right? Because again, coming from a cultural, uh, um, I mean, coming from a background wherein you see not only the men, but even women. So we have different rules. We have different rules for people outside our family, we have different rules for people inside our family. Me, coming from a progressive family, open mindset, again, that open mindset has differentiation. It also has different definition for people who don't belong to us and people, our loved ones. So I can be proactive uh, feminist. I'll be supporting every single day. So I'll be supporting, go out of my way to support women who are not 
who are not supposed who are not responsible for looking after my house but mm-hmm. when it comes to women who are who are supposed to look after my house i may not be that progressive so i don't believe that much in the word feminism itself because again it for me it all boils down to what life takes for them right yeah. so what is what are your values your vision your mission i've seen people they are the super loud they are the loudest cheerleaders that you will ever find in these kind of setups they are feminists they are hardcore feminists but when you talk to the women in their household they are confined in those four walls even in this age the they are women are still looked upon as the baby producing machines looking after the house looking after the family taking care of everyone around as long as it women is yours for the women outside your house we are still very much open we believe in equality we believe in having uh, open discussions so i would say i don't go with specific word itself if a man comes to me and tells me that he is a feminist if he is a feminist is actually a feminist there's nothing more beautiful than that mm-hmm. yeah so it's again matching the actions and the words yes and i i just love how you you've really captured the integrity of Yeah you can you know like you can talk all day long but when was the last time you did the thing that you know other people might say is the woman job right when was the when was the last time we could rely on you to x y and z and that's when it comes out of sort of the movement as well and really into like are you talking equality or are you live in equality exactly exactly mm. yes that's um, i have a small experience to share So yes. here, I mean, we are celebrating Women's Day on 8th of March. So a lot of the TV, uh, the television commercials, they come up with beautiful advertisements where in Ariel, this is a detergent ad and the laundry detergent. And it comes with beautiful advertisements every single year. Share the load. And the basic example they use is doing the laundry of the house. Right. But then it's not only about sharing the load of that laundry itself. What people don't understand is they don't understand the the depth of the message behind it so my husband he often times he i'm sure he's going to look at this video sometime soon and <laughs> what he does is he would uh, he would readily happy to share the load if it comes to you know doing the laundry part but when it comes to looking after the child i mean i'm working whole day since morning cuz you've been watching me here i'm here to work my daughter is right here next to me because that is my responsibility i'm the mother so here feminism fem- being a feminist and the anti feminist there's a clash between the two yes this is what i mean to say when i say what are the actual these beliefs that you have on the other hand i know a beautiful human who is who defies who fits this whole idea of feminism perfectly but he never called himself feminist he never yeah the person that i am leading with he's a hardcore feminist Oh, that conditions apply so conditions apply <laughs> as long as you have those conditions over there again these words don't really matter yeah. it's you what you're demonstrating as well is how how differently we because like even just being a woman or being a man and then with the with the added you know being lgbtqia ia <laughs> Why? Who's why? <laughs> Young adult. Okay, so you. I do apologize. Okay, so but you know, being anything that isn't like cis binary, etc., and then being anything that isn't 
white Western, you know, dominant English speaking culture, um, instantly we have to filter everything through like our own life. And I think when you know people one to one and you really, their actions impact you, the, the thing takes on a different weight as well. Um, if I have time, I'm, I'm just going to go with it. Okay. I've got, I'm just going to pretend I have time to ask you very briefly um, what you would say to the, I'm going to call it a counter argument, right? Um, to the argument that building equality and um, space for women and allowing women's leadership in this world goes against tradition. And that tradition is something important, needs to be maintained and needs to be valued. And it's where, you know, it's where many of our values lie. Um, Chesley, I'm going to come to you first on that one. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking automatically, whose history are you protecting? Mm. There are a lot of histories that are not properly um, told. So, again, it goes back to what filter you're applying to reality to discriminate against which traditions are more valuable than others. So, for example, we talk about, you know, the Black History Month, which is to say that we have a white history year. So when you talk, you refer back to history, whose history is that? And why is it that you need to have competing versions of history for you to feel if your argument is sound enough, you don't need to back it up with saying we've been doing this for however many years. The quality of what you're doing shouldn't be contingent upon how many people agree with you. Agreement is not necessarily discernment. Right. So for me, it goes back to critical analysis and critical intelligence. If the thing you're fighting for truly carries merit, it should self-exploratorily defend itself. You shouldn't try to resort to tactics to try to produce a clout of legitimacy around that, because it means ultimately, if I remove the fact that people have been doing a lot of things for a lot of years, including oppression. So just because we've been oppressive, oppressing people for longer than we've been liberating them. Does it mean that oppression is more legitimate than freedom and social transformation, right? So I would go to that argument. So not hide behind numbers, but really look to the intrinsic quality, the qualitative merit of your argument. Can what you say stand on its own without needing history as a backup? If the answer is no, then we need to challenge that conversation a lot. Mm, very true. Very true. Oh, my gosh. Samantha, what would you add to that? If anything. Yeah, that's a great, it's a great point. Uh, this is one of the most challenges, challenging questions I ever have to think about is the whole, you know, as a white person, we don't need to protect our tradition and our history. It's already there and it's strong enough. Um, but like living in Japan, the Japanese history, tradition and culture, it's more complicated because they're coming from um, a religion that's called Shinto, and Shinto is an Aboriginal um, religion that is not written. It's uh, everything is verbal. It used to be, so it's a lot more complicated to protect. And they did have beliefs that do not go well with feminism, like the fact that women having their periods are dirty, and that they should be kept away, and they should stay in a house, and they should not enter a shrine. And they should not do a bunch of stuff because they're bleeding and that's dirty. So here's the point where me as a feminist, I'm like a feminist who's in love with Japan and who's in love with Shinto is very challenging for me because I'm like, it is tradition and it's history and it's what this country has been built on. But obviously having your periods is not dirty. 
So like, what do you do? And there is still in Japan one island in the south of Japan that is still forbidden to women. They still cannot step on that island because it's sacred and it's Shinto sacred. And in case you have your periods, you should not go on the island. So all women are forbidden. All, all people with their periods are forbidden on the island. So the whole question of should we stop feminism and social change in order to protect the tradition is very complicated, especially if you take into account that some traditions and some histories are more fragile than others because of, you know, white colonialism and other stuff like that. So mm-hmm. it's just a question that needs to remain open for progress and thinking, I think. Yeah. So what what I'm hearing from you both so far is, number one, is whose tradition, whose history, uh, you know, why are we valuing the way that you think tradition works? Um, it's not the only way. And then the other point that you made, Samantha, as well, is like, just because it's tradition, does that mean it's right? Um, Martina, you live in Germany. The country will collapse in fire if we don't honor tradition, right? Right. So right. Uh, no, but <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, yeah. So um, I, I had also the idea that whose traditions do we want to so why do we have this tradition and how does this tradition work? Does it oppress people? Maybe it's not the best tradition. And we have also so much stuff that is kind of, it happened for ages and people say, yeah, that's tradition. We just do it the next year and the next year and the ne- next age. But if these traditions hurt people, why do we do that? Why can't we just stop it? So um, I think traditions can be important to build identities, to build community, but there was all somewhere at the point where tradition can hurt people. And at that point, maybe we should change traditions. But yeah, it's uh, difficult. And um, I have these conversations about traditions very, very often also with very, with party um, parties that uh, say they are inclusive and they are progressive and at the end they also um, use this argument, yeah, but this is tradition and this comes from a point of privilege, so I think there are of course differences if a group says this is tradition and they have a lot of privileges and don't need to think about oppression, or if a tradition comes from a point where um, the group which uses this tradition to keep up, um, to stay alive for this community, for example. So I think there are differences, but at the end, I think it's important to have a look. Do we oppress people with this tradition? Then it's not good. We may may want to change it. Or what is the background of the tradition? Um, So we just have to, the groups have to look at their traditions and look, do, do we need it? Do we, don't we need it? But it's not like I can say for other people or for other groups what their traditions, their traditions are good or bad. Uh-huh. Um, because I can't, I don't know the background. I don't know the identity of all groups that exist. So, um, I think every group has to think about that for on their own. But when I say, I say when a person which is in power here in my region says we don't need feminism, um, it's tradition to that, for example, I don't know, in this 
even there were only men. Or for example, in some clubs or something, there are only men. The tradition, we always do this like that. Then I can say, um, yeah, that's not a good a good idea because we also can have this power and can take part in this stuff because I can see the backgrounds here, but in other cultures and other regions, when there is some law that I can, I don't know, I I would say that other people which know the community can um, should decide about changing traditions because um, especially when you have a lot of privilege and you don't need to think about certain groups, you can't decide for them. Yeah, um, yeah that's more or less my answer on that. Yeah, very important point there. So number one, this sort of openness to saying, well, that's nice, that's tradition and now that can be history and we can do things differently even within your own group and then like you say to not do you know better than a group that you don't know well um which i think is yeah because i mean that's like this close to colonialism um achana what about what about you so i really like the way martina put it and uh, that there is a time that we might need to revisit our values, our traditions, because history, I mean, we all have history, but in what all ways is it the, the past is helping us in making a better future, right? Because again, yes, every country, every region has its own traditional values, and that is something that we learn to follow at times blindly, at times illogically as well. Like just the way Sam uh, Samantha mentioned about the whole concept of menstruation. So, if, yes, people say that they are impure in India also, it is a, still a taboo. I mean, not that it is a taboo, but still it is a taboo. <laughs> I hope you understand about what I intend to tell you here. So what happens is if the tradition was that women were supposed to stay out of the kitchen, they were supposed to rest at one particular place, the tradition was that we did not have sanitary napkins at that time. We did not have access to personal hygiene stuff at that time. So instead of making a woman uncomfortable for the whole day, it's better to make her sit at one place. That was the tradition. I mean, that was the logic behind this tradition. But how people manipulated was they labeled her to be impure. They labeled her to be untouchable for that particular period. They labeled her to be an outcast from the family itself. Again, this is the distorted version. Now, I have seen women, they take a liberty of it. I personally know lot lot many women who would still say now they have access to all those sanitary napkins, they have access to those menstrual cups. You have, I mean, you name it and they have access to it. Still, they are using it. I am on menstruation, I am not going to do anything. So this is what I mean when I say distorted version of feminism. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? So if feminism the, as a movement, it was started, of course, in history, so that our future becomes better. Not that we cling on to those tradition, illogical tradition, and make it difficult for the other gender or for the other women also. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's so. That's you making me reflect as well. That it's sort of again about claiming what you want, what you need. It's exactly. okay to ask for a rest. It's okay to not do everything, 
and to to be grasping for an excuse mm -hmm. is is something that you if you feel that you need that if you feel like you need whatever it is whatever like approved story you mm -hmm. can tell to try and grab that rest exactly. um, then then you're not really you've not really come into your own quite as much uh can wholly recommend Achana's talk this morning so on more on <laughs> really reflective now i'm going to come to my last question i've got a sort of half eye on the chat which is fairly quiet so i hope you're all still awake or alive everyone and um, i'm going to come to my last question so this is it's funny because this is feminism in our language world but mostly we've discussed sort of cultural perspectives which we have in this super rich panel i'm so grateful for and how do we react to the term is the term something meaningful but i think that's it like language is important and it's i hope this has been helpful to all of you even language learners um now do you consider it's my last question do you consider yourself a part of the movement and number two with all of its problems and number two part here is i wanted to ask all of you for resources and activities that you have found useful uh to support yourselves there and um, just because maybe people will ask, I'm very happy to just collect like book recommendations from everybody and pop them on a on a document and pop that into the Facebook group later on. Um, yes, Martina, I'll start with you. Um, so I don't think that there is the movement. Um, there are so many different movements with similar aims and different aims and different movements call themselves feminist but how they act seems to be very different so um i would consider myself being part of a feminist movement and um how my connection or how my view is on um, feminism in the language world um or language learning world um is that um i i'm in contact with lots of um linguists um because as a student of linguistics, that's kind of the deal for the um, job, more or less. But um, I'm in contact with lots of linguists that do research in the area of um, queer, queer inclusive language, for example, and non-binary um, inclusive language. And so it's um, kind of uh, the movements around um, queerness and um, linguistics at the same point, more or less. And I think the, this connection to um, feminism, uh, which is included in those topics for those people, um, is different to how I would see, for example, um, feminism in the language learning world when I only go to certain language learning conferences, for example. Um, because there are differences in the topics and difference in the focus of the topics. So um, my personal connection to the um, to the movement I, I'm talking about, for example, is this kind of including more um, other parts or focusing on other parts. And um, yeah, to... Uh, recommend stuff. Um, I would recommend my own talk tomorrow. <laughs> um, but also um, this research of those people that I just mentioned. I know people who do also um, who create language material, which is not 
for linguists, but for example, for language teach language teachers or also people who just want to learn languages, um, who include different forms of um, inclusive language for different cases for um, to get the also the words to be able to speak about some stuff well, because we can't um, learn every topic what we'd want to talk about in language classes, at least not the kind of language classes that I know from my university or schools. I don't want to blame my university. I want to blame language classes as, as a general thing that I know until now for at least. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. I think it's interesting the way that you say the movement. It, it's it, you're making me reflect that it's it's almost like saying like I'm a follower of this and that religion. Um, but like yeah, it sounds if like, I tell yeah. you I'm a Christian and I'm a German Protestant, I am not a Christian in at least seven million senses of the word, right? Um, that's that's a interesting reflection. And thank you for also um, giving us some a perspective on the language world there. Um, Samantha, what about you? Feminist in Tokyo. Yeah, the feminist in Tokyo cannot be more feminist than that, right? I'm definitely part of the movement. But I think it's exactly what you say, Kristen, is that I'm part of the the movement feminists with all its problems. You know, there's not a day that goes on without me disconstructing something that I thought about uh, I thought was true, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I'm learning every day. And I think that's, that's what's important is that feminine, feminism is not perfect and we need to disconstruct ourselves and to learn every day. And that's the only way, the only sane way to go. And I think you mentioned, but I, I am finding a strength, you know, within feminism with, with what it means being in France or, you know, in Japan. Uh, I'm really discovering a lot of feminist circles right now in Japan, which is really empowering. So I'm definitely part of that. And I think you mentioned in your question that you would like some recommendations for, uh, you know, tools in order to learn a bit more about feminism and other fights. Uh, One tool that I really like is book clubs. I'm part of two book clubs, uh, one in France and one in Japan. The one in Japan is an American one. And um, it's a very great way of, you know, uh, selectioning, you you select a book and then you talk about like this panel discussion and then you can confront your ideas and your beliefs. So it's very, it's a very healthy way to learn. Mm -hmm. Um, The other is obviously podcasts. I love podcasts. I think it's, it's the new way to learn. You can do that on, 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 you know, on your train commute or whatever. And I have two great podcasts right now that I love listening to. Three, actually, because one is my own, you know, Feminist in Tokyo, of course. But uh, the other two that I wanted to say is uh, one is Hidden Brain NPR. Uh, It's a very famous one. It's been going on for almost seven years now. So it's it's a good one. And it's done by Shankar Vedantam. That's one that's covering all kind of topics, not just feminism, but everything. The second one that I'm following right now is the My Non-Binary Life by Caitlin Benedict. Um, And they're doing a great job at explaining how they're discovering uh, non-binary identity pretty much every day of their lives. So podcasts and book clubs, that's Mm -hmm. how you learn. Oh, 
Wow. Yes, reading lists are slowly becoming listening lists. Uh, Achana, what about you? So, uh, Samantha, first of all, thank you for mentioning these podcasts. I was making my note of these things because I'm a strong believer of books and podcasts. Again, I'm a strong follower of these two things. And coming to Kristen, if you ask me, I would say just go and read Mill on the Floss, written by George Eliot in 1860, and read a little bit of background around it. Had she published, I mean, George Eliot is a male name. She published it under pseudonym and the original, I mean, the original name of the writer is Mary Ann Barnes. Had she published it with her own name, what difference would have made it made to the quality of the book that she has written? Because it was the same mind, same future, same emotions. What got her into that dilemma? I mean, I wrote a book. I would, for I mean, I would never ever think of publishing my work under somebody else's name. Right? Mm-hmm. So, this whole thing was something that started this whole idea of knowing more about feminism long back. And I still am not able to decipher it. I'm still working at it. What a person is doing. It's, so, it's not just a movement. Times are changing. It's high time that we change the definition of feminism as well. We change the norms. We change the way it is being operated. It is being cut. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Ah, oh, wonderful. Oh, well, thank you very much. That's a left field recommendation. I absolutely love it. Absolutely love it. And Cheslin, we've got you left to contribute. Thank you so much. Sure. I mean, um, I was thinking we're just to your primary question, right? If I identify with the movement hundred uh, percent, because for me to become the best version of yourself, you have to, you need to stand for the humanity of somebody else. If all you're defending in this world is your privilege, then you miss the chance to truly understand what it means to be whole and human. So for me, the point is you need to disaggregate what feminism, social justice does for everybody at scale. And to me, it's for me to become the best version of yourself, you have to, you need to stand for the humanity of somebody else. By decolonizing space and being womanism or feminism centered, you enrich your space. So who do you get to talk more? How many more people do you get to connect with? How much deeper the impact of your work gets to be? Because you're not profiling against, you know, specific like um, forms of womanhood, even subconsciously, right? So that would be one thing. And in terms of my potential reading list, um, very easy for me. It's always the same too. So two memoirs from Janet Mock. She's a willing human. So she has defining willingness and surpassing certainty. And it's extremely holistic. So when I talk about, you know, intersectional feminism and whatever, and she's so much more than that. And in her way of portraying our life, experience to us with a lot of humanity and depth, everybody can find an echo of their own truth and how she tells her truth. And I feel, as Bronnie Brown says, people are hard to hate close up, so lean in. The only way not to understand and perceive the value of the movement is to be looking at it from the sidelines. Once you are in it, it's impossible for you not to come across another human whose life story resonates so deeply with yours, but it challenges the whole narrative that you had around why feminism isn't for me. So the only way not not to see it is to be so far out of the spectrum of the conversation that you get to rationalize a lot of poppycock ultimately. So for Mm -hmm. me, you know, feminism in that way, in that lens, being more decolonialistic, it's truly whatever you do, 
you're going to touch so many more souls and have so much more, uh, you know, long lasting impact at scale. Wow. Yes. I wrote down in the most scribbly handwriting ever to become the best version of yourself. You need to stand for the humanity of somebody else. That's a, that's a brilliant quote. Thank you so much for contributing that and for your recommendations. Now, this was a, a brilliant discussion. I'm going to call on Lindsay in a minute, calling Milton Keynes, warning, warning, <laughs> to, to let us know if there were further, further comments in the chat. First of all, I want to thank all of you. And I want to highlight the fact that I believe all five of us are not really entirely English native speakers and we're still doing it and absolutely smashing it. So well done to us. We are clever. We are polyglots. Um, maybe next time I'm going to do a panel on the word polyglot. <laughs> and we'd never all shut up. Um, I'm just going to briefly pop all your contact details in the chat. So we've got Cheslin's website is cheslin.com. That's C-H-E-S-L-I-N-E.com. Samantha Lasso is L-A-S-S-A-U-X, um, and she's on LinkedIn where you can find her, or, of course, Feminist in Tokyo podcast. Is that right? Nodding? Yes. Uh, Martina Gertz is, and Gertz is G-E-R-D-T-S, so that is martina-gertz.de, and Archana Pama is at archanapama.com, so that one's quite easy. Okay. And, of course, you can find all these lovely people on Instagram and on Twitter, I think. Yeah, again, lots of nodding, lots of nodding. We're all on social media. Thank you all so much. And I'm going to give the final word to the chat then or to Lindsay. Yes, I think the best thing that I can do rather than um, because essentially we're on recommendations at this point in the chat um, and rather than try and catch everything i'm gonna save the chat when i save this video and i will grab those recommendations so that we have them excellent yeah yes. well thank you to everybody who was in the chat who shared your own perspectives and shared your own views this has been really great i have been looking forward to doing this for quite a while um and also was a little bit nervous about whether anyone would want to hear about feminism at women in language but you've all proved me prove me again that I get to be a bit daring as well so absolutely fascinating thank you Samantha thank you Cheslin thank you Archana thank you Martina and thank you chat thank you and thank you to Lindsay also thank you to you for having us (laughs) (laughs) fantastic (laughs) well thank you to thank you to women in language for letting me for letting me do it. Shall we just do the fluent show sign off? Okay, so <laughs> I'm going to say, <laughs> hijacking this, I'm going to say goodbye from me, and then you all get to say goodbye all at the same time. Beautiful chaos in any language of your choosing. Um, that's how this works. So it's goodbye from me, goodbye, <laughs> and goodbye from everybody else. Ma'asalama, <laughs> abiento. Ma'asalama. Thank you for listening to The Fluent Show. If you enjoyed this episode, please support the show by subscribing for new episodes and leaving a rating and review in your podcast app. You can visit us at fluentlanguage.co.uk anytime. Don't forget that you can send us your questions and feedback to hello at fluentlanguage.co.uk or you can find the show on Twitter and say hello over there. 
it's at The Fluent Show, and on Instagram, it's hashtag The Fluent Show. We're always happy to hear from you, and we read every message and review. See you next episode!